Hello and welcome to the Engagement Coach Podcast. Welcome to the Engagement Coach Podcast with your host, Amrit Sander. So the topic of conversation this week is ethics, organisational ethics. And in order to help me explore this further, I've got a guest with me, uh, Barney Rosenberg. He lives in the US and he's the president of Ethics Line, which is a US-based organisation focusing on ethics training and consultancy. Now, Barney's background, for 15 years, he was the group vice president of ethics and business conduct at Megit PLC here in the UK, um, the aerospace organisation. Barney himself is a graduate of Princeton University and of Michigan uh, Law School. He's studied law, he's a barrister by trade, and uh, he happens to be very fluent in Portuguese and Spanish. So, Barney, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. Pleasure to be with you. So, Barney, before we dive into the discussion that we want to get into, it'll be really good to introduce yourself, your background, what you've done, your experiences, who you are. In 25 words or less. (laughs) Uh, I I suppose I I began my professional life as a barrister. uh, Okay. Doing white-collar criminal defense work. And then trans transitioned into um, business ethics. Struck me at the time as a natural transition. Um, I would tell clients that you have a choice of how you use my services. I can keep you out of trouble, or I can get you out of trouble. Okay. Getting you out of trouble is much more um, expensive and um, stressful. So I, I moved to the keeping you out of trouble side of life. I'm interesting. What led you to migrate into ethics from being a barrister, from, from you know, the legal side of it? Honestly, I was recruited. Um, I, had, uh, I had been in private law practice in a, in a law firm in the Washington, D.C. area and was recruited by the general counsel of, at the time, a very major aerospace company uh, to come and work in-house which I did, doing very similar things to what I had been doing in private law practice. And as happens, um, the growth in business ethics came about largely when companies got into trouble. And they were yeah. compelled by agreements with their regulators and their, and their major clients to adopt uh, business ethics programs. So I was invited to do that at a uh, UK-based, uh, down in Bournemouth, um, British aerospace company uh, called Megit, and started their program 15 years ago. And we built it from the ground up in 17 countries around the world, and the rest is history. So I should, I should mention at the moment, so you you now live in the States, you're originally from the States, but you've spent a, a fair amount of time here in the UK. Um, only on travel. So okay. they, were, they were kind enough to let me stay in Los Angeles, even though my, my job was global. So I, I did actually travel uh, extensively. Okay. So, um, Barney, I want to tap into your wealth of knowledge on ethics, because you've been in this field for... Uh, a fair amount of time and uh, you're also you study you, you lecture at uh, the local university do you i do some of that uh and also internationally International, so okay. last, last summer i was in uh 
Rio, São Paulo, and Belo Horizonte in Brasilia. Um, I speak fluent Portuguese and Spanish and was invited to speak at uh, various universities, uh, law schools, and trade associations in Brazil. And I've done, I've done similar things in uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, um, which was uh, educational, uh, exciting for me, and I think um, very productive. I would tell people that um, in order to get more business, which was the, the audience greatest interest, how do we get business from North American and European companies? And I said, well, the CEO of a major corporation wants to sleep well at night. And they can do that if they know that you have adopted the same values that they have and that you will conduct your business as they conduct theirs. Um, and that led to a discussion of what's involved. So you've mentioned the magic word there, values. Um, a lot of the work we do with organizations involves leadership development, but, but it starts with understanding values and um, the critical role they play. There's a lot of organizations who've got, got values or at least statements and words that they plaster over walls and, and, and doors and, and rooms and everywhere else. But what also stands out are the, I guess, the lack of congruence towards them in, in organizations, in some organizations, certainly. And I think now with the environment we're in, there's a level of authenticity that people are saying, I want to join organizations that live and breathe what they say. What, what are your experiences of, of values in organizations and how they've been implemented or used? I had a very interesting, somewhat hostile exchange with a colleague in the UK. Uh, we required uh, extensive training on our business practices and values. And we did it in seven languages. Um, and everybody around the world, no matter where they were for the company, took the same training. And this, this man called me up one time and said, I've raised two sons to be fine young men. Who are you to tell me what my values should be and what my ethics should be? I said, first of all, congratulations on the lads. Well done. Um, but that's not what this is about. We have uh, co-workers in 17 countries around the world who speak many languages, come from different family backgrounds, different educational experiences. They have different aspirations for their, their lives and their families. But we have one thing in common. We all work for the same organization. And when we come to work, these are the values that our customers, our regulators, our suppliers expect us to follow. And um, you don't have to take the training if that's what you're telling me, but you also don't have to work here. And that was sort of about as mean as I've ever gotten with a coworker. He took the training. It's it's understandable, I guess, in some cases where people start to question the value of values. Yeah. Um, especially when people don't see any anything that comes out of it. You know, what's the point of having these values when nothing changes in terms of the decision making process, uh, in terms of our strategy, in terms of whatever we're trying to achieve? Um, do you see that often in, in organizations where well, a lot of it has to do with when you wake up in the morning, 
how do you feel about the place that you're going to spend most of your waking hours? Your work. Um, do you feel good about it? Are you neutral? Are you negative about it? Uh, you, you know better than I do. Right? When, when surveys are done of how employees feel about their work environment, if they're honest, it's not a pretty picture. And yeah. that's, I think, due to the fact that the values are easy to say and hard to live. So going on to that point about living values, one of the challenges I think right now we've we've got is, you know, th this position of power. Um, leaders uh, hi historically have have wielded a lot of power in their organisations because of the hierarchy of where, where they are, and certainly the my experience of, of retail, you know, it was a very command and control uh, sector, and. So there was a lot of power being, you know, thrown around from from the, you know the, the higher up you were, the the more clout you had. And where we are now, though, is that we've got people who are remote or from they're detached from their organisation. So that power that leaders had doesn't seem to be as power as, as impactful anymore. You know, th th there seems to be an erosion of that power. And now with leaders not being visible. What impact could leaders have? I mean, I'm not saying that they want to, we want to go back to the power base. That's historic and that's something we want to move away from and hopefully we have. But how do leaders start to demonstrate some of these values that they really want to identify you know, across the organization to say, this is who we are and this is what we're all about? It's called Zoom. <laughs> we, get, we get to see each other um, in our pajamas. Um, give you an example. Um, there's a university here in Los Angeles called Loyola Marymount University. It's uh, historically a Jesuit institution, and they do some remarkable things, uh, one of which is an annual international business ethics competition. Typically, we will get each year 30 teams from countries, uh, universities around the world. We've had teams from Oxford and from places in, in um, the Philippines and Hong Kong and Costa Rica. And we had a, a team of um, four young women from Lebanon this year. And this year, because of COVID, it was all done on Zoom. So the judges would be um, in their home offices or lounging on their sofas, and the teams would be doing the same, but they had prepared their presentations on business ethics issues that were identified through the United Nations values. And it was extraordinary. And this, this generation that's coming up now will have experiences that none of us old folks could have dreamed of. They, they will have lived and worked in teams across internet platforms in crisis situations where people around them are dying literally. And it was remarkable. It was remarkable for me to see them do it. And it was very encouraging that the future of, of at least business, if not entire countries, is in good hands with this generation. Uh, and you, you, you mentioned that the, the, the whole focus of, the, of those the sessions were, were ethics. And it makes you wonder, you know, how um, across organizations, normally when we have values, we have this big fanfare, we launch them and then we never talk about them again. 
But maybe now is the time for leaders to be dialing that up and actually on Zoom call calls or video calls is actually calling out the values to say, here's here are our values. How are we demonstrating them or how could we demonstrate them? And maybe making a topic of them to say, how do we now bring these to life in this context that we're in as opposed to the one we were in when they were created? You know, I've, I've challenged my colleagues in the academic world, and I'll do the same for your audience for this podcast. Come up with a better term than ethics to describe what this is all about. Because ethics carries with it for many people, religious overtones. And that's not what this is about. It should be about, do we stand behind the products and services we, we make and offer? Are we committed to doing things the right way? Given that there's not necessarily only one right way, but at least Open up a dialogue, have conversations about it. You can do that on Zoom. Um, there are still people who work together in a factory situation and setting. They can talk about it. And the fact of the matter is they do talk about it. And um, I'll give you an example. Um, I've often said that organization charts can be very misleading. And I say that because I know of one a factory situation um, where I worked where you would never be able from an organization chart to identify who the true leaders were in the organization. Turns out there was a large immigrant population working in that particular factory. And the I'll call him the head man. Um, the leader of that community within that factory was somebody that all of them turned to when an issue came up. Human resources didn't necessarily acknowledge him, um, didn't necessarily know he existed. I did because I had uh, uh, sought out people in that organization to talk to about how things were going and what was going on. So you have to, you have to be sensitive to really how the world works, where you spend your waking hours. So you put... So, you know, somebody, somebody very wise once said that if, uh, if you're talking, you're teaching. If you're listening, you're learning. <laughs> I like that. Um, Barney, you, you've um, almost equated ethics and values together there. Uh, what, what's the relationship between them? So I, my choice, and, I, and I'm really sincere about hearing from your audience about a better term than, than ethics. Um, it's, it's really how we do things here. This is, this is what we stand for. There was another example, um, and you're going to get bored with my examples, but there was a, a manager at a very, very large uh, UK-based um, factory who had started working there as a 16-year-old intern and had risen to become the manager of the plant. He knew everybody in the factory by name. He knew how their kids were doing at football. And every day he would walk around the factory and just check things out personally. Um, somebody very wise once called that management by walking around. MBWA, 
Um, I changed that up a little bit. I call it uh, a different MBWA. I call it management by walking away. Basically, you hire good people and you get out of their way. Let them do their job. And remember to say, thank you. Well done. Oh, that, it goes that a long way. That resonates a lot with uh, certainly all the leadership work we do. One of the things is to help leaders understand that, that empowerment and autonomy means making sure you recruit great people and then getting out of their way. Absolutely. Um, so, Barney, with, with regards to the ethics side, so would it be unethical then to if, if organizations or if people in organizations didn't live up to the values that the, the organization subscribes to? Would it be unethical? Yeah, if, if yeah, if, if I think they... so. I, I, it's, it's hypocrisy. Okay. Um, it's it's paying lip service to something that's truly important. That's a really really interesting uh, way of looking at it because I don't think many people would see not demonstrating the values or going against them as being unethical. Yet, you're right. It is hypocrisy. It's the height of hypocrisy, and it's what aggravates people most is when across organisations we say one thing but do another. When we say these is this is what we truly value, but then the behaviors then often of senior leaders but others, uh, it completely goes against that. But but we don't then challenge it. And it gets even uh, even more complicated when you layer in uh, the legal system in whichever country you're you're doing business in and across international borders. So for example, something can be perfectly legal absolutely unethical. Example, apartheid in South Africa. It was the law of the land. Everybody knew what it was. Was it ethical? Hell no. Um, likewise, a, a, a trivial example of the reverse where something is illegal but ethical, the posted speed limit for automobiles may be 35 miles an hour in a residential area my father is having a heart attack and I have to get him to the emergency room at the hospital. So I drive 55 miles an hour. I've broken the law. Is it illegal? Yep. Is it ethical? Yep. Got to get dad to the hospital. Um, but those are extremes and we rarely face those in the work setting. But what we do is provide everybody in the organization with the standards that we expect them to live up to. And we hold them to it when we can. May I give an example? You please, yeah. Um, as you know, I've written a series of, of essays that I call the ABCs of business ethics. And one of them is the other four letter F word. And a lot of my friends, you know, roll their eyes when they hear me say that. But the other four-letter F word is fear. And fear is a factor of great significance in the workplace. Uh, example, I, I received uh, one evening a series of emails and phone calls from one of our factories. People were afraid that one of their coworkers was going to come into work one day and do some very violent things. And they were very afraid, I'll say deathly afraid. Uh, I arranged to meet with them one night 
um, after work off campus, and we talked through the issues. We brought in a somebody I've known professionally for years, a, an industrial psychologist. And then we brought in a, a group of 20 frontline supervisors. These were people who had been really good individual contributors and got promoted to management roles for which they were often totally unsuited. Um, insensitive to the needs of others, to a fault. And I posed a question to them. I said, next time you give performance reviews, how about giving the employee the written review the night before you're going to sit down and talk? That way they can come in the next day having digested it and thought about it, and you can have an informed conversation. The outcry was palpable and loud. No, they'll be angry. They'll come in and they'll do things that are bad, and, and that's a terrible idea. Turns out they were afraid of the people that they managed. And the people that they managed were afraid of them. And everybody was afraid that the business would be sold to somebody else or that the work would be outsourced to some third country. Um, and it took a lot of work to break down some of those barriers. And that's what it's about. <clears throat> I think it's all about insecurity, fear. Um, how do we do this? We, we don't have any training or education or experience in managing the careers and expectations of others and the serious business demands that our customers and regulators place on us. So the values should help get through those doubts and fears. Yeah, yeah. Fear, fear is a really interesting topic, especially now if you, if you think about the uncertainty. So we've got fear from another angle, which is um, if there's fear of safety of my, my, myself, whether, whether, you know, back at work, but there's the fear of uh, job security, but that'll be across the board. It won't just be at the front end. It'll be leaders, managers, supervisors across the board. Organizations, people will have organizations will have people who are fearful of uh, what's about to come. Change is a condition of business. Uh, just ask the people that used to make buggy whips before automobiles. Um, the world around them changed. People didn't have horses pulling carriages anymore. They had automobiles that ran on gasoline. So you didn't need buggy whips. You had to adapt. Um, and all of our businesses will adapt. And we've seen that now with the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we have to make changes in ways that we could not have thought about a year ago, six months ago. So Barney, going back to this point about ethical, ethical leadership. We've got an opportunity now for the change that we want to bring to be led, ethically led, ethical leadership, which is aligned to the values that we subscribe to and to, to really do it with a, a level of authenticity, genuineness, that, that people can see what every organization is about and, and you know, align to, them, to that. How do leaders go about now creating this environment of ethical leadership where they have that they are able to drive change, but in the right way, whatever that right way is for them. The really good managers are the ones who will acknowledge openly that they don't have all the answers. 
Um, one of the best I ever worked with um, happened to be British uh, in the UK. And he stood up in front of a large audience of employees and said, in all sincerity, what can I do better? And there was silence in the room. People didn't know if it was safe to raise their hand and, and tell him what he could do better. They may not have known what he could do better. Was everything perfect in the organization? No. But they came to trust that he was sincere when he asked the question, what can I do better? And they started raising their hands and telling him. And you know what? It became a better place to work. There's some great research in neuroscience of trust and how vulnerability helps drive trust in exactly what you just described there. That actually, I mean, what a, what a powerful position to take to say, what can I do better? To, and, and I think that's, that's uh, what people are almost after. They don't want now leaders to, to pretend that they have all the answers. Everybody knows no one has the answer. What people are, I think, after is this level of authenticity to say, I'm in a position that I could probably make things better. What is it that you think would work? And involving people, showing your vulnerability, but then empowering people to get involved. Yeah. And the people we work with know. They know what would make, even if it's just a, a small piece of the business that they're responsible for, they know what, it, what could make it better. Uh, there may be reasons not to do what they recommend, but at least acknowledge the authenticity of their, their input, uh, the value of it. And it may not be the right time because there aren't necessarily right or wrong answers. Often it comes down to timing. Um, and thank them for the input. Thank you is such an easy thing to say. And people will know if you're sincere. Yeah. Barney, just on the point of ethics, so what's the flip side of it? What drives unethical behavior? Most often money. It's, um, hey, uh, you know, Amrit, we're not making our numbers this month. Uh, let's skip this, this final test and we'll send it out. And if anything goes wrong, the customer will let us know. They'll send it back. But at least, at least we can record the numbers as looking really positive. So cutting corners, <laughs> it's, a, it's a recipe for um, long prison sentences. And even if it's not a prison sentence, I mean, if you look at the, again, I, I find it astonishing with where we are now. Um, retailing, again, it's one I can really relate to. But in every, every year when I was in operations, we had to do more with less. Every year our budgets would be cut and we were expected to deliver more. And this race to the bottom, you think, well, how long could it carry on? Something had to keep giving. And again, that pressure that starts to mount, you have to then make decisions that challenge you to say, well, actually, is this the right thing to do or is, it, is this the best thing to do? Uh, and I think now, hopefully, we're in an environment that says we're going to do away with all of that, that race to the bottom, and now focus on how do we bring quality back into what we did, the ethics, the values, and really start again. I'm um, Having worked for most of my career in the aerospace industry, uh, I would make it a point every time I visited a factory, which was often, to thank the folks on the, on the shop floor 
for getting me there safely and returning me home safely. Because uh, that's what we did. We made products that, that made airplanes fly um, and land and take off safely. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it's every industry is different, um, but the fundamentals are the same. You have regulators, customers, suppliers, staff, uh, co-workers, all of whom have a set of expectations, and you have to talk about them. Yeah, and um, that point you've mentioned that two or three times about thanking people. Yeah. You know, if we're going to op open up and, and show vulnerability and get people involved, then we've got to at least be able to acknowledge their input and thank them, because... Uh, without people, I mean, uh, you and I, prior to uh, organizing this podcast, we were talking about how buildings are just buildings. It's the people that make the difference. And if we're going to get them involved, and it's the people who are going to really provide the, the innovation, the creativity, and we've got to at least acknowledge and appreciate uh, everything they do. So, yeah. There is, no, there is no such thing as a corporation. It's a fiction. It's all about people. It's all about people. Uh, what a lovely note to end on. So, um, Barney, thank you very much for talking about ethics for, and, 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 and values and how they're actually one and the same. And actually, something that many people won't have thought about is unethical leadership, uh, equating it to being hypocritical about demonstrating the values or not being able to demonstrate them. Um, it's uh, certainly food for thought. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So that's our topic of conversation today, ethics and uh, leadership ethics and its relationship with values and the impact we can have across organizations when we start to really bring these things to life, not, not necessarily having looked at them from an unethical point of view in the past. So thank you very much. Uh, that's all from us today. Amrit Sander from The Engagement Coach. I will see you soon. Take care. The Engagement Coach Podcast.